from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as a teachers of the law. Everyone, it's so lovely to be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Annie. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it's a joy to be with you to continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's a great book. I always find so many exciting new things there. Um, so I hope you're excited to do the next part this morning. Um, so, this morning, as you know, we've just heard the passage, we're talking about the wise and foolish builders, um, and to start off, um, I would like you to observe this building that we're all probably familiar with. Um, so, has anyone travelled to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, I went with my family when, we were, uh, when I was a teenager, and it's such a strange thing because you walk around the corner, at least the way we went, and uh, there's this tower which looks really strange you're not used to seeing things that are like not straight and then you come round and you see just the hundreds of people doing this and this like trying to do the optical illusion of uh, keeping the tower up it's a really strange one and it's funny to see something that's famous for not being quite right um, in that way and it got me thinking I wonder what happened it's a 56-metre-tall building uh, beside this beautiful cathedral. It's huge and beautifully built, um, but it's wonky. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the way that it should be. And did you know it took almost 200 years for them to construct that tower? That's a long time to sink into something that ended up like that. That's a really long time. And it got me thinking, I wonder what went on. Uh, and what I learnt was, as I read and as I researched, was that the issue was, unsurprisingly, the foundations. For such a tall structure, they only have just under three metres of foundation under that building. And what else is crazy is that it's built on a marsh. You wouldn't know it to look at it now, but it's built on soggy, soft ground that isn't solid at all. So, now it might surprise you, it probably doesn't, that I'm not a builder or a uh, engineer of any kind, but my brilliant dad, who is now a teacher, used to be an engineer, and so I picked his brains a lot this week about building and about construction, and something he told me that I didn't realise before was that foundations, are, well, I kind of knew foundations are key, but what I didn't think about is the fact that you can actually pretty safely and securely build on most types of ground, marshland and even sand, but the key is that you think about the foundations. It has to be thought about how you build a foundation in any different type of land. 
So, these people could have had a straight tower. It may have been famous for not, like, for being what it sh they hoped it would be famous for, actually being straight and beautiful. But um, if they had been considered and spent more time thoughtfully practicing what that looks like, intentionally thinking about how low it would have to be and how wide it would have to be and how solid it would have to be uh, for this tower to stand strong, uh, these ancient builders would have built something very different. If you are intentional about your foundations, then things hold together and stand firm. If you're not wise with your foundation, then vulnerability is very real and collapse is inevitable as soon as any strain or pressure is applied. So today we need to sit up and pay attention because Jesus is choosing to wrap up one of his most significant portions of teaching by asking us, by challenging us, to check out our own foundations, to check that we are being intentional about what we are building our lives on. It's so easy to forget, and I definitely do, that this parable, which many of us are many, very, very familiar with, is actually the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. Builders use a blueprint, like a design plan that they follow to make sure that they fit, the finished product is what they set out to build in the beginning. And Jesus, in the same way, has just laid out in this sermon uh, the beautiful blueprint for life in the kingdom of God. And these are the words he leaves us with. It's not a jolly pep talk or a woo go for it. It's a warning. And I'd never thought about that before. So we need to read it in that light. When we do, it gives us new depth, but it also doubles the challenge. But I love that God gives us each other to go on the journey with, so don't worry too much. But we need to listen to it as it's intended. It will lead to beautiful things when we do. And as a quick side note, if you are here and you are someone who uh, has heard this passage a bajillion times and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I know. Can I encourage you to lean in this morning, to not be numb to what this passage is saying, to ask the Lord to give you fresh eyes to see what he's saying. And on that note, I think we should pray before we start. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for life and for breath, for the sunshine outside, for this place to be and for the chance to be together. Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our eyes, give us a real hunger to hear what you're saying, and I pray that we would have ears to hear, and we wouldn't just be people who hear, but we would follow you faithfully afterwards. Lord, be with us as we listen, uh, and give me what I need to share your heart well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... For us to fully understand these words from Jesus today, it's important that we zoom out for a minute, we get some context from the big picture, and then we'll zoom back in and work out what it means for us today. Uh, so as I mentioned, today's passage is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. For those who may not know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is this incredible discourse of Jesus where he uh, basically maps out discipleship. He gives us uh, the plan for living in the kingdom of God. This sermon has three main parts, an intro, a main body, and a conclusion, like most good talks or, uh, I was going to say sermons, well, sermons too, I guess, but those kind of things. He starts with an introduction where he tells us the surprise identity of those he's calling to be uh, in the kingdom. Jesus tells us that it's the poor, the meek, the grieving, the very least of us, who have, those who have nothing to offer, who are welcomed into God's kingdom. 
Then, in the main body, he paints a picture of the upside-down value system of the kingdom, what it looks like to follow in his way. It is Jesus' vision of kingdom life. Jesus lays out an invitation to us to enter into this new way of living. He says things like this. He says, be salt, arrest decay in the world. Be light in dark places. He says that murder and anger are just as bad as each other if they're causing us to sin against each other, inwardly or outwardly, so be reconciled instead. Be holy and set apart in relationships, not just outwardly, but inwardly too. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Go out of your way to generously and wholeheartedly love not just your friends, but your enemies too. That one's hard. Have integrity. Live well to please God, not just to look good in front of other people. Remember God wants relationship with you, so talk to him, be real with him, share your life with him. Forgive generously and wholeheartedly as God has forgiven you. Don't store up your treasure on earth. Treasure God and your relationship with him and store your treasure in heaven. Worship God only. Don't worship money or things. That leads to destruction. Remember that God cares deeply for you and your needs and live freely knowing that you can rest in his care. Don't judge others. Deal carefully with your own stuff instead. Start with humility. Remember God is a good father and he wants to give you good things. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then take the initiative and go and do it for them first. Now, obviously, that is my very rough and quick summary, um, and I do encourage you to actually go and read the actual sermon. It's much better. Um, but in Jesus' own words, it can really be summed up in loving God and loving people. What an incredibly beautiful picture that is, and I don't know about you, but that's a kingdom that I want to be a part of. So after this main body, Jesus ends with a conclusion, asking the questions, what are you going to do about it? And that's where we are today. The last four sections of the sermon are these vivid sketches from Jesus, warnings, challenges to us who hear his words. You'll know them, I'm sure. They're the wide and narrow gate, the sheep and the wolves, the trees with good and bad fruit, um, the people who call Lord, Lord, but don't actually know Jesus, and the wise and foolish builders. In each, it's clear that there are two options, a right way and a wrong way, a true way and a false way, a saved way and a lost way, a fruitful way and an unfruitful way, a wise way and a foolish way. It's clear at the end of all of this that there are consequences for our choices or our lack of choosing in our response to hearing Jesus' words. In all these cases, it's a failure to respond to Jesus' words that is catastrophic and results in destruction. So we need to pay attention to Jesus if we call him Lord. Okay, so we got that. Now we're going to zoom back in and reread the passage in a different translation just to get our brains thinking differently. So let me read. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. 
It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This is the best teaching they had ever heard. So I wonder what stands out for you as we read that. Any words or phrases or ideas? Would anyone be brave enough to share? What grabbed you? Found, yeah, words about foundation. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit harsh, and I like kind of balked at that initially, but yes, it's true. Yeah. There will be storms. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's will, not if, definitely. For me, what God put his finger on immediately was that building a house with its foundations on Jesus isn't an incidental thing. It doesn't and won't happen just accidentally as we go along. It's not a half-in, half-out kind of thing. These words need to be worked into our life on purpose. Like a wise builder who considers carefully their foundations and builds their structure accordingly. Have you noticed how easily we can fall into the trap of thinking that showing our face at church every now and then and being generally pleasant to people and maybe occasionally giving money to the church or those kind of things uh, means that we have set a firm foundation and we're fine? I think we do it all the time. I definitely do. These warnings from Jesus should cause us to really consider the reality of our walking or not walking with Jesus in our everyday life. As I thought more about this and studied this passage of scripture, something else came out, which doesn't actually come out quite as clearly in the English translation. In all four of these final warning parables, there's this key word that Jesus repeats over and over and over again. And it's in the Greek, so you have to excuse my um, pronunciation. The word is poieo, and it means to do. Over and over and over again, the same word in the Greek. Poieo, do, 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 do. In our English translations, it... If you look, you'll see lots of different doing words. So you'll see produces, does, performs, puts into practice. And that right there is the very crux of it. Over and over again, Jesus is saying to all of us that the only way to truly build a firm foundation in him is not to just hear his words, not to just observe his way of life, not to frame and hang up his words in our house and think, oh, that's good, I've got scripture here. Our job is to hear the word and then do it. He must have said it a lot because we see the pattern in what we're reading, but we also, when you think, if you've read the rest of the New Testament, you see that the apostles who spent their time with Jesus, they echo the words as well. You'll see it all through the different epistles. You'll see, don't merely be hearers of the word, be doers of the word in different ways, but they say it over and over again. Don't be people who just hear God's word, do it. Okay, so... All of us are either children, we've all been born and have parents, or we are parents. Um, And if you have been in either of those situations, which we all have, you will know the scenario when a parent asks a child to clean their room. How many of you have recently asked someone to clean their room or clean a room? Yeah, (laughs) that happens. So as you think about that, as a parent, or maybe you're someone who's been asked to clean your room, what is the desired response when that happens? What are you wanting to get back? Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, when you ask someone to clean, a child to clean their room, what would you think if you said, hey, can you clean your room? It's looking like a disaster. If they said, 
Mum or dad, that is such a wise thing to say. I'm going to go away and ponder that for a while. <laughs> or if they said, you know what, I'm going to gather a group of people, we're going to meet once a week and we're going to talk about what it would look like if we cleaned our rooms. Or if they said, mum and dad, can I sing a song about how brilliant you are? I'm going to like just tell you how great you are, but ignore the fact that my room is a mess. None of those would be good responses, would they? You'd be like, what are you doing? Stop it. The only right response to the request to clean your room is to go, mum or dad, I have heard you and I'm going to go and clean my room because that is how I'm going to show that I love you and I'm listening to you. And in the same way, <laughs> it's a bit crazy, isn't it, that we hear God's words and then we do those things. And let me be clear that I'm not saying at all that it's not, like, it's very good to go to Bible study and to come to church and sing about how good God is and all those things. They are very good things, but it does make it very clear how silly it is of us to think that those things, without a then listening and acting on it, putting things into practice, are in any way good. They are, those things are incredibly and painfully empty if that's how we behave. The same would go for a builder that spent lots of time pondering and discussing and thinking about how to build good foundations for their next construction job, and then they just never laid the foundations. They just didn't do it. It's interesting to notice, too, that Jesus says, anyone who hears my teachings. I think I've always thought about this as Jesus talking to those who hear God's word, the people who are Christians, and those who are yet to call themselves Christians. But actually, when I was studying this, I realized that he's talking just to people who hear. That's us. That's all of us here. And he's saying, among us, there will be people who hear and who are foolish builders and don't do anything, and those who hear and who listen and put things into practice. It's kind of confronting, isn't it, that that's us. We need to consider. These words are directed to us to call ourselves uh, if we're calling ourselves Jesus followers, then will we be wise or foolish builders? In the story, it's a storm that reveals the truth of what each builder has invested in what they've created. When the hard things come in life, and as Graham pointed out, it's when, not if, the true nature of who they are and what they are and what they've built comes to the front. It emerges and makes itself clear. Both the life that has strong foundations and the life that has no foundations may look very similar at first glance. It probably does. You can probably like, look around and go, yeah, we all, we all look the same. But it's when a crazy storm comes that reality is quickly shown. I know for me, the past few years have been a wild and stormy time in my life and the life of my husband, Tim. It's been one of those seasons where just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. And you probably know the ones. Um, and that's been across all areas of our life as well. We're talking physical health, mental health, finances, housing, COVID, work struggles, the desire for a child, and all those many, many more things. The storm has been huge and relentless, and I've certainly found parts of my foundation are strong and parts that need a little bit of love. I had to ask myself, do I really trust that God is good and keeps his promises to me even when I can't feel it? I found myself trying to create security of my own, desperately trying to make sure I had enough money so that we would be okay, instead of trusting God that will, that, sorry, trusting that God will always provide for us. 
I realized how much I store up treasure on earth and hold on to it to make me feel okay instead of trusting and putting my faith in things of heaven like I thought I did. I forgot for a while that God is my good father who wants to give good things and he's working for my good. I felt angry with God. I was like, why, where are you? What are you doing? And if I'm honest, I felt shaky. It felt like my foundations, I needed to pay attention to them a bit more. But what's beautiful is that our good and gracious God is right there. I had this moment in the middle of all of that where a pastor friend of mine said, why don't you come to a worship night at my church? Be anonymous, don't be the pastor, just come down. And I got there and I walked in the door, I didn't know anyone apart from this friend of mine. And the person up the front said, tonight our whole night is about how God is worthy of praise. And my response was like, (laughs) no he's not, I'm so angry. And I sat in the corner and I cried all night. I just sat there and I cried. And I was like, God, you've forgotten me. But then, at the end of the night, this pastor friend of mine brought the prayer team over. He's like, you haven't met these people, but I think they should pray for you. The first woman said to me, oh, before I came here tonight, God gave me four pictures and four scriptures for someone here. And I couldn't work out all night who they were for, and I just realized they're for you. And all four of them were these beautiful things that God, it was so specific to my life and my situation, where God was like, I see you and I hear you. I'm with you haven't forgotten you. And then this older couple who are part of the prayer team, they came up to me, took me aside, and the man took out his wallet and he took out his cards and all the things he needed and he gave me his whole wallet full of cash and said, God wants you to know he cares for your physical needs as well as your spiritual needs. I was reminded in that moment that even though I felt shaky and I felt like my foundations weren't firm, that God wasn't leaving He's always firm. The foundation of Jesus is always firm. He's not going to leave. He's always with us. So I wonder what your storms, past or current, are telling you about the state of your foundations. Where do you need to lean in and take steps of trust or obedience to firm things up? It's so beautiful that we have a Heavenly Father who not only gives us a blueprint and a roadmap to abundant kingdom life, but that he gently and graciously leads us back when we get sidetracked or lost on the journey we're on. I want to be very clear, though, this is not all to say, at all to say, sorry, that the way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be uh, friends and to be friends with Jesus is by good works of obedience. The whole New Testament is clear that salvation is being offered only through the sheer grace of God, through faith. We are freely given this blueprint, this map, to show us how to beautifully live God's way and we can be truly secure and free. What Jesus is stressing, though, is that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith will always express that through how they live and what they do. It sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Jesus gives us the blueprint, the map, uh, the best way to live, and he asks us to just do it. But actually, when we look at Jesus' life, it's never a go do it go away, go and do it, make sure you sprout the right information. It's always a come and see, come with me, come and be part of what's going on. This is an invitation from Jesus for you to join him on a journey of experience and curiosity and encounter and discovery. And we often think about the Christian life as us inviting Jesus into our heart, which it is to some degree. But actually, in a much bigger way, 
It's us being invited into his life. It's us being invited into what he is doing. And he assumes that we'll have the Holy Spirit, that he'll be with us. He's not leaving us alone. He's inviting us into his life to what he's doing in the world. Having said all of that, though, it helps my brain to have something to, like, hang it on because I'm a visual, practical kind of person. Um, So I thought I would share a tool that's been really helpful for me uh, as I think about my discipleship journey and how I take what I hear and what I know and make it stuff that I do. Um, So hopefully it will help you. So um, we're going to start with a passage from Mark. So there's lots of things that look like this uh, through the Gospels, but the very beginning of Mark, uh, Jesus says... Uh, this, but I'll start from verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sin and believe the good news. So when Jesus says the time has come, um, in Greek, there's two words for time. There's chronos, which is chronological time. So if you look at that line, that's kind of chronological time, your, your life happening. And then there's the word kairos, which is like a moment in time, the opportune moment, something's happened, God has broken into this moment. Jesus is saying, um, God has come near, God's invited you in, and the time is right, and then he gives us what the response is, repent of your sins and believe the good news. So repent meaning change your mind, change the way you think about something, turn away from what you were doing and into a new way. And believe, we think of belief in, like, in our culture, in our time, as a bunch of like, uh, intellectual ideas, I suppose. Like, I'm believing these particular facts. But in this time, in this place, when they say believe, believe is what you're doing. You're like, if you believe something, you'll do it. So I see what you believe by what you're doing. So Jesus is saying, repent and believe the good news. So as we th- and you see that, actually, before I go on. You see that all through Scripture, how he shows his disciples to do that. A bit further on, he'll, he'll talk to his disciples about what it looks like to follow his ways. And then he'll... Can anyone think of a good example of that, actually, where Jesus has, shows his disciples, here's a, way, a new way of thinking, and here's how you do it. Can anyone think of an example? Put you on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. So he's saying generously and sacrificially love people, even your enemies, thinking of Judas. And then he puts a towel around his waist and he gets down and washes their feet. He's showing them by example what that looks like. So this is a tool that really helps me. So if, if the line across is your life, the big cross in the middle is a moment in time, a kairos moment where God has said something to you. Maybe you're reading scripture in your time with God and something grabs you. That's normally a good way to see what the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on, what what has grabbed you in the passage. Or maybe you've had an interaction with someone or something's happened in your life and you're like, oh, I just can't stop thinking about that. That's a good moment to go, okay, God's saying something to me here. I need to pay attention. And we have the option to go, okay, God said something to me. I'm going to keep going. Or we can enter into this learning and growing. So there's two sides of it, repent and believe, and two questions that go along with that. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? You've probably heard them before. I think I used them in my last sermon at the end to reflect. What's God saying? What are you going to do about it? And they're good on their own. If you need to break it down a bit, if that's a bit too tricky, 
as we enter the circle, the first things we do are observe. Oh, God's saying this thing to me. Yep, okay, I need to pay attention. Then reflect, why might God be saying that to me? What else is going on around that? What's this scripture got to say to that? And then discuss, that's why God gives us each other. Go, God's been saying this thing to me and I'm trying to work out what I need to change in how I think to move forward with this. And then the next side, believe, is what are you gonna do about it? So the first thing is you do plan. It's so easy, I don't know if you're like me, to go, yeah, I'll change that, and then I get swept up in what's going on and I totally forget. So maybe you need to put in your diary. I'm gonna set aside time to think about that. Maybe you need to go, actually, I'm gonna book in the conversation I need to have with that person. I don't know what it is, but make a plan, put it, make it concrete. Get accountability. Maybe your small group, when you read something in your life group, you go, oh, this has really grabbed me. Next week, I'm, can you check with me? Have I done, have I lent in and actually taken a step of faith? And then do it. And as we do that and we come out of the circle, that little arrow, it's a very, I, I was looking for one that was a bit more. God changes our trajectory. So he's like slightly moving us towards Jesus. And that happened. The more we do that, the more we take the time to go, God's saying something to me. I'm going to repent and believe. I'm going to ask, what's God saying? What am I going to do about it? The more that we are shifting to be more like him. I hope that's helpful for you. And I'd love to talk to you if that's something you want to explore more uh, or if you want to pray after the service about the journey you're on with discipleship or even if for the first time you're thinking about the beauty of the kingdom of God and you want to meet Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, but it's a beautiful upside-down kingdom to be part of, so it's exciting that we get to go on the journey together. I'll hang around down here if you want to talk afterwards. But as we finish this morning, I want to ask you a question to reflect on. Are we following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Not do you know things about him, not do you come to church, are you following Jesus? Following Jesus is not one decision you make when you choose to follow him for the first time. It's not 30 years ago or two years ago uh, or yesterday. But it's a, am I following Jesus today? Building a good foundation in choosing every day to accept Jesus' invitation to practice and walk with him into the day ahead. He doesn't really care what happened 30 years ago He's interested in whether you're choosing him today, whether you're still stepping into his life today. That's what being a wise builder is. That's what building a good foundation is so that you can follow him. So what will you choose to build today is my question for you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to show us these things, that you show us the beauty of your kingdom, but you also... Show us the truth of our human experience that we're very good at hearing and not following. God, I pray that we would be a church that lives out the beauty of your kingdom, that each of us every day would be people who choose to follow you in that day, that choose to step into your invitation to live your way. And I pray that as we do, this place and our community and all the places you have us would be uh, experiencing the beauty of who you are, Jesus. We pray that you would help us to love you and love others more as we take these steps day by day. Thank you for this family and thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.